This evening, I'd like to say a little bit more about the interrelationship between the four heart practices of kindness or metta, compassion or karuna, appreciative joy or mudita, and equanimity or upeka. Because in my own practice experience, and also from working with many students over the years, generally speaking, metta alone is not enough. We need all four of these qualities working together to experience the full breadth and depth of what they have to offer. So this weekend, we'll be taking a little bit of a whirlwind tour of all four of them so that we can experience for ourselves how each of these can be approached as different facets or different flavors of love. And these different flavors of love support profoundly beneficial qualities of heart and mind that prepare us to experience the kind of transformative insights that lead to freedom, which as I think you all know, is the overall goal of our insight practice. So just to get us started, when I was here last time, I mentioned how I've been um, appreciating how metta or kindness can be experienced as a quality of rest, resting in kindness. It requires rest to be able to access it. And then when it's there, resting in it, dwelling in it and abiding in it helps it to grow and strengthen. The second quality, compassion, strengthens resilience, our capacity to be with what's difficult and painful with some degree of ease rather than brittleness. Mudita, or appreciative joy, offers the opportunity to renew or refresh our energy because it orients to what's going well in life, its successes and rewards and joys, it can be inspiring and uplifting. And then finally, equanimity can be experienced as a quality of release, namely release of all forms of reactivity, the tension, the contraction, the grasping, the resisting. As those reactions get released, in that release, we experience peace, which is an aspect of equanimity. So that's just one way I've been exploring these Brahma-Vihara lately, that not only as the qualities themselves, but the kind of energies, embodied energies that they can bring with them. So if all of this is new to you, I do encourage you to listen to the recording just to get a bit more of the approach that I'm bringing here. And I'd like to say a little bit more about the term Brahma-Vihara itself, because it has implications for how we practice. So this word Brahma-Vihara is sometimes translated as the divine abodes, or the sublime abidings, or the heavenly realms, or sometimes boundless states. And to my ears, at least, all of these sound a little bit awkward, which is one reason I usually leave the term untranslated. It's a difficult phrase to translate into English because the word Brahma apparently refers to a kind of god that was worshipped by the Brahmin tradition in India at the time of the Buddha. And we don't really have an equivalent of that in our own culture. And that's why it's often translated as heavenly or sublime instead. Now the term Vihara means dwelling place. So literally Brahma Vihara means the dwelling place of Brahma. 
And it's a sense of dwelling or abiding that I'd like to highlight here. This aspect of Vihara as being home. Because in fact, these four states are our true home. They're a true refuge. They're where we naturally abide when our hearts and minds are not assailed by stress and distress and difficulty. And just like with our actual physical homes, there's a feeling of ease, a sense of being relaxed and comfortable and more who we truly are when we're at home. So in a way, this is what we're, is the word inculcating here. We're cultivating this sense of the Brahmavihara as being our natural dwelling place, our natural home. Now, I did want to bring in all four of these Brahmavihara because, and again, in my own experience, often we tend to hear most about metta, kindness, friendliness, goodwill. This is the first of them all. And the other three qualities, you know, sometimes they're named, but they're usually not covered or practiced with in nearly as much detail. And for me, this has really been a shortcoming because again, in my own practice, I've discovered we really need all four of these Brahmavihara because when they all come together, they really give us a lot of steadiness, a lot of resilience. Just like a piece of rope, if a piece of rope is just a single strand, it's not nearly as strong as a four-ply, four-strand piece of rope. And so each of these four qualities is really supported and strengthened by the others. And together they bring this supple, responsive quality to our hearts and minds. The other downside of focusing too much on matter at the expense of the others is that sometimes I meet people who have this mistaken idea that metta is supposed to be our default response to absolutely everything. But depending on what's going on in our lives, depending on the circumstances we find ourselves in, actually one of the other three qualities might be much more appropriate, might be much more what's needed to navigate that particular challenge. And there are some situations where actually meta is not the most appropriate response and potentially even could be harmful. I'll say more about that later. But for now, I want to just highlight that these four skillful states of heart and mind, they're not only beneficial in and of themselves, they also powerfully support our insight practice. And they do that in at least two ways. So I like to use the analogy of physical health. So they act as prevention and as cure. So the Brahmavihara, they act as preventatives <clears throat> by making the heart and mind resilient. And with that resilience, we're just less prone to attack by those visiting afflictive states, such as anger or fear or boredom or jealousy, loneliness and so on. So metaphorically, the Brahmavihara qualities are like a kind of a vitamin C for our emotional immune system. And when we have a strong foundation of kindness and compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity, it's just that much harder for the afflictive states to get a grip on us. And I think you've all had that experience. When we're in a so-called good mood, little things that otherwise might have irritated or depressed us just bounce off. 
And if we look more closely at that good mood, you'll probably find that one or more of the Brahma-Vihara states are in there to some degree. Now, again, as I think you've experienced, the opposite is also true. When we're in a bad mood, as we've probably all experienced, that underlying negative mind state tends to amplify negative things and we get more easily caught in painful emotions. When we do recognize that we've got caught in some kind of aversive or afflictive mind states, that's when the Brahma-Vihara can be a very powerful remedy for whatever that afflictive state is. So just as a very simple example, metta or goodwill is a very powerful antidote to ill will or aversion. Compassion is the antidote to suffering, to pain of all kinds. Appreciative joy is an antidote to envy or jealousy. And equanimity is an antidote to all forms of reactivity, of imbalance, of bias. So one way that I like to think of the interrelationship between these four practices is we can think of them as arranged in a diamond shape. So you might want to look at the screen for a moment. If you think of a diamond, at the bottom point is metta, because metta is the foundation for all of them. And when this basic attitude of goodwill or kindness turns towards what's going, what's painful or difficult, it flowers naturally as compassion. So we can locate compassion at one of the side points of the diamond. On the other side, when the same metta or good will turns towards what's going well, to success, to good fortune, it flowers naturally as mudita, appreciative joy. So on the two side points of the diamond, we have compassion and appreciative joy. Then when compassion and appreciative joy are perfectly balanced, they can come together as equanimity at the top point of the diamond. And when we're in equanimity, we're equally available to life's 10,000 sorrows, its 10,000 joys. And I use this diagram of the diamond because it also works metaphorically. These four qualities are all facets of a skillful mind. And when the heart mind is perfectly clear, just like a diamond, it automatically responds in the appropriate way, with kindness or compassion, with appreciative joy or equanimity. Just like a diamond flashes red or blue or yellow, all of these colors are possible because of the diamond's innate purity. And so as our practice gets stronger, we're constantly responding to actual situations in an appropriate way. We're developing a kind of an emotional literacy. And we learn to recognize if or when we might have got off balance in some way. So we can see that in the Brahma-Vihara practices themselves. So maybe you've had this experience. At times, the metta feels to get a little bit dry or maybe a little bit superficial or light. And then we might realize, oh, if I turn to compassion for a while, if I tune into life's difficulties and challenges with an attitude of care and kindness, that can help bring more depth to the metta. 
There are times, though, when that compassion capacity diminishes and we start to feel like we're getting actually bogged down in suffering. And at that point, it can be helpful to turn to the opposite point of the diamond, to focus more on appreciative joy or mudita. And this is kindness, goodwill towards what's going well, to our own or others' happiness and good fortune. And that can refresh, renew our energy and inspiration. Here too, though, this can get unbalanced in the sometimes the tendency to get a little ungrounded and fizzy or a little up, you know, a little too uh, almost Pollyanna-ish, you know, just, oh, I'm just going to tune into what's going well. I'm not going to look at that other stuff. And so then we might need to bring in the grounding of equanimity, the balanced mind state that equally sees the whole range of experience. So we'll be exploring more of this in the coming days. Tonight, I wanted to focus mostly on metta, kindness or goodwill, because it's the foundation that all the others develop from. Now, I'm kind of assuming that all of you have at least some practice, experience with metta practice, and you're probably familiar with the way it's traditionally done in the insight tradition, where we silently recite phrases of well-wishing to different categories of people. So for example, we might bring to mind a good friend and then just silently wish, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be happy, may you be at ease. That's pretty much the standard way of doing this practice. Now for many, or maybe I should say for some people, this is not an easy method to work with. For some people, the words can get in the way, taking them more into a cognitive space, or the words can become dry and mechanical. They might not feel authentic. They may feel to some ears superficial or sentimental. Sometimes this way of doing it, we find ourselves getting caught in trying to manufacture some kind of emotional response that we think we're supposed to be having and that response is not natural or genuine. And so when that doesn't work, we can easily fall into afflictive emotions and get caught in self-judgment or irritation or frustration or ill will, the very opposite of what we're trying to develop. I know this was true in my own experience, and I've heard many students describe something similar. And often we either decide that, well, meta practice just isn't for us, or we're deeply defective human beings and there's something wrong with us. So if that's been at all true for you, I really want to emphasize that this is a practice, it's a training. And I know from my own experience just how challenging it can be to begin to open up to kindness. It's a real indictment, a tragic reflection on our society that this is so hard for so many people. And it's true for many people. We, Not even many, all of us, every one of us here has had painful life experiences. And those experiences can block our access to kindness. Every one of us at times has been hurt, rejected, blamed, or shamed. So if we sit down to practice metta and find ourselves lost in irritation or frustration, 
self-judgment, cynicism, numbness. That doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. It's actually a sign that the practice is working. All of these Brahma Vihara are designed to show us what gets in the way so that we can do something about it. So if we find ourselves experiencing ill will and aversion, difficult as it is, right there is another opportunity to try to find kindness for the non-kindness. It can take a surprising amount of courage to do this. And so that's the last aspect of metta I'd like to highlight now. Sometimes people are afraid of cultivating kindness because they fear it's going to make them weak or that people will take advantage of them. But all of these Brahma-Vihara practices are supported by wisdom. And it's this wisdom or clear seeing that protects us from falling into foolish kindness. So as you know, I think in the Buddha's teachings, we include ourselves equally with everyone else. So we want to make sure that the way we're practicing metta is not harmful to ourselves. If we're offering kindness in a way that's harming ourselves, then it's not true metta. We need to reassess how we're doing it. And that's another reason why I've been bringing in this invitation to restfulness and ease as an entry into metta, rather than pushing, forcing, manufacturing some kind of fake kindness. So I can't emphasize enough that all of these practices are trainings and it takes time, it takes patience before we start to get the hang of them. <clears throat> 